Thanks for listening to the weekly teaching podcast for City Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. It is our desire to be a Jesus-centered family on mission. If you live here in Knoxville or are ever visiting the area, we'd love to have you with us at one of our Sunday gatherings. You can find out more at citychurchknox.com. If you're interested in giving financially to help us reach more people in our city, you can give easily at citychurchknox.com give. And finally, if this teaching is helpful to you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at info at citychurchknox.com. With that being said, here's this week's teaching. What, in your opinion, is the biggest enemy to following Jesus? When you think of the things that often threaten people's life and people's joy in God, what would you say is the most significant threat of them all? I think different people would probably answer that question a lot of different ways. Uh, Maybe some of us would say that the biggest threat to following Jesus in the modern world is secularism. Others might say the biggest threat is legalism and self-righteousness. Others might say it's theological liberalism, however you personally would define that term. Uh, Maybe you would say it's the attempt by some to merge together nationalism and faith in Jesus. Maybe you would say that's the biggest threat. Others still might say it's the sexual revolution and all the ideologies that come along with that. Or maybe you'd say it's something else entirely. I don't know. All sorts of different answers that I think people would give. But what would you say that it is? What is the biggest threat to a person's relationship with Jesus? Now, obviously, the answer to that question is on some level fairly subjective, right? There's not really an empirical way for us to say, here's the biggest threat right here. But at the same time, I I will tell you that in over 10 years of being a pastor, I have seen a handful of things crop up time and time again. One relatively small list of things that from what I've seen tend to crowd out people's joy in life more often than not. So today, we begin a new teaching series that we've called Killjoys. For the next uh, couple months, or a little bit less than that, we are gonna look at seven things that especially threaten people's joy, particularly as it relates to following Jesus. We're gonna talk about how to identify those things in our lives where they exist, And then, perhaps most importantly, we're going to talk about what to do about them. Over the next seven weeks, we are going to cover the following topics. We're going to look at busyness, apathy, lust, living for the approval of others, cynicism, anxiety, and pride. Those, in my experience, are are the things that I have seen be most disruptive and destructive to followers of Jesus living in the 21st century. Now, to, to some of you, maybe, maybe some of the things on that list uh, seem like they belong on the list, and some of the things maybe feel like they don't belong on that list at all. But I can tell you that all of them, if left unchecked, can take a real toll on people's life and people's joy in following Jesus. In other words, if you currently are not very excited about Jesus or following Jesus, I think there is a decent chance that at least one or more of the items on that list have something to do with that experience. So we're gonna discuss them all before we're done with this series. But today, we are going to kick things off by talking about busyness. Now, here's why I wanted to begin with this one. Busyness on the surface may not feel like that big of a threat to our relationship with Jesus. 
But I think in some ways, busyness may actually be the most dangerous of them all. Because if you are over busy, think about it, you may never even recognize that any of the other things on the list are a problem. You may never slow down long enough to see that there are things in your life stealing away your life and your joy. So if we are going to overcome the variety of things in our life standing in the way of our joy and our life in Jesus, we are going to need to ratchet down our pace of life to where that actually becomes possible for us to do, to where we have the margin required to think about our life and not just live within it. Does that make sense? You following me on that so far? So here's how Dallas Willard once said it, and we've used this quote before. Some of you may have heard of Dallas Willard. Uh, we tend to quote him fairly often around here. Um, he was once asked a question similar to the one that I asked you a moment ago. Uh, somebody asked him, what would you say, Dallas, is, is the, most, the biggest threat to a person's relationship with Jesus? Here's what he said in response. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. According to Willard, hurry, which I would define as the frantic pace of life derived from busyness, might be the biggest threat to our relationship with Jesus. I'm not gonna lie, the first time I heard that quote, I thought he was joking. Like, I just didn't think there's any way that hurry is the biggest threat to a relationship with Jesus. And yet, the more I think about it, and the more time I spend observing my own life and the life of other followers of Jesus that I know, the more I think I'm beginning to understand exactly what he meant by that. As a pastor, I can tell you most any time that I talk to someone about their life with Jesus, say I ask them about how their time in the scriptures is going currently or how their prayer life is going or how they're doing at discipleship, regularly pouring into other followers of Jesus. Most any time I ask people about any of those things in their life and they say that they're not going great, but do you know what the number one reason I hear for why those things are not going great just so busy. I just got so much going on right now. It's just hard to even think about those things because I'm so incredibly busy. And just think about it. When you ask most anyone that you know how they're doing lately, what is the most common answer people give? They say, I'm good. I'm just what? Busy. I'm good. I'm just busy right now. So I'm beginning to think that maybe Dallas Willard was onto something, which if you've ever, ever read Dallas Willard, you know is like the understatement of the century. He was onto a lot of things. He knew what he was talking about, but I think specifically with this topic, he was onto something. I think he was onto something really important. It is entirely possible that hurry, or what we might call constant over-busyness, is one of the biggest enemies to us living the type of life that we could be living with God. Here's how California pastor John Ortberg articulated it. He said, for many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. Michael Zigarelli, a professor at Messiah University, he once did some research on the, the phenomenon of busyness in the lives of followers of Jesus. Here was his analysis 
of his research. And this is a longer quote, but I want you to hear what he's saying and kind of the process of it. He said, it may be the case that one, Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, which leads to, number two, God becoming more marginalized in Christians' lives, which leads to three, a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to four, Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live, which leads to five, more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, and then the cycle begins again. Catholic writer Ronald Rollheiser called this problem that we're talking about this morning, he called it pathological busyness. I think it's a very descriptive term. Some of us are not just busy, we are pathologically busy. We're chronically busy. And for a lot of us, this pathological busyness is what's keeping us from a vibrant relationship with Jesus. It is incredibly difficult to live in the kingdom of Jesus with a perpetually busy soul. So this morning, I want us to see if we can learn from Jesus about what causes this type of pathological busyness in our lives, and then I want us to talk a little bit about what to do about it. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. We're going to look at a passage this morning that is probably somewhat familiar to you, at least if you grew up in and around church. It's a very, very brief, concise passage, but I think it has absolute gold in it when it comes to understanding this phenomenon of busyness in our lives and what to do about it. So pick it up with me, Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. So that is an incredibly important detail for you to remember about Mary. We're going to come back to her at the end of the teaching. For now, I want us to focus on the other character in the story named Martha. So keep reading with me in verse 40 of the passage. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Now, if you've got the ESV version of the Bible here, uh, all it says there is that Martha was, quote, distracted with much serving. So question for you, uh, is serving a bad thing? No, not for followers of Jesus, right? In fact, according to Jesus himself, serving is actually a great thing. Jesus wants all of his disciples to have a default posture of serving others. So the problem isn't that Martha is serving in this story, but at the same time, Jesus is about to offer a loving critique of what Martha is doing. Something about what she's doing, how she's approaching this situation is indeed off. So if the problem isn't that she's serving, that tells me that the problem must have something to do with the word distracted and the word much. She's distracted with much serving. The problem isn't that she's serving, it's that she's distracted with much serving. And similarly, I would imagine that when we are chronically busy in our lives, I would guess that most of the things we are busy with are not bad things. Most of them are probably neutral or even good things. They're noble things, things that need doing in our lives. In fact, I would imagine that one of the most difficult things about overcoming busyness in our lives as followers of Jesus is that to become less busy requires saying no to some very good things. But evidently, as we're going to see, sometimes that is what needs to happen. 
So I would imagine, based on this story, that Martha is the type of person who was always consumed with what needed to get done next. I'm sure if she were around today, she would toss out phrases like, time is of the essence, and the devil never takes a day off, or the early bird gets the worm. She'd say things like, I'm not busy, I'm just really productive. I'm just really efficient. I'm just high capacity. I'm all about the hustle. You see, the reality is that Marthas are everywhere in our modern society. Our society tends to crank out people like Martha. We celebrate them. We give them raises. We hold them up as examples of what it looks like to be outstanding members of society. This is what many of us think it means to be human, to live a life of constant, unceasing activity, which helps explain Martha's attitude towards the Marys in the world found in the rest of verse 40. Take a look there with me. She, Martha, came to him, Jesus, and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Another characteristic of people like Martha is that they tend to hold at least a little bit of a grudge towards anyone who's not quite as productive as they are. They often are keenly aware of all the people that get less done than they do. They tend to look at those people with anything from mild frustration to outright contempt. Martha says, essentially, Jesus, tell, tell Mary to make herself useful. Tell her to do something with her life, right? Tell her to stop being lazy and unproductive. Tell her to get up and help me. But Jesus feels very differently about Mary than how Martha feels. Take a look at Jesus' response, verse 41. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Let's stop there. So there's the diagnosis from Jesus. Martha is worried and upset about many things, so the problem isn't that she's serving and it's not that she's productive. The problem is that she is so concerned with a dozen different things that she has forgotten about the things that matter most. Has anybody ever found themselves there? Put simply, Martha is hurried and over busy. She is anxious and troubled and preoccupied about many different things to the neglect of the things that matter most. And her experience, Martha's experience, as we've already mentioned, I think is somewhat of an epidemic in the 21st century. Almost literally, such that mental health professionals have actually given a label to this problem. They call it hurry sickness, as in a type of illness that people suffer from. Here's the way that people have defined hurry sickness. A malaise in which a person feels chronically short of time and so tends to perform every task faster and to get flustered when encountering any type of delay. That sounds a lot like Martha in the passage, doesn't it? And I think when many of us say that we're busy, this is actually what we mean by that word. We're saying we have more things to do, or at least we feel like we have more things to do than we have time to do them, or at least it, it feels that way in the moment. We mean that we're running on overload, right? We're, we're trying to keep more plates spinning in our life than we know how to keep spinning at once. We, we often mean that we are, to quote Jesus in this passage, worried and upset about many things. 
The, the problem is not that we have a lot to do. The problem, at least we think, is that we have too much to do, and so we feel like the only way to get it all done is to do everything in a hurry all the time. Now, obviously, there are seasons and situations in life that call for hurry, times when we should be hurried. If you or your spouse goes into labor and you need to get to the hospital, hurry is the appropriate response in that scenario. If, there, if there's an emergency of some sort, hurry is the correct response. It's good and needed. If you're running late to class one day and you need to get there on time, hurry might be the appropriate response. College students, if you don't get anything else out of today, you might wanna hurry if you're late to class, especially if it's like the 12th time in 12 days. Just in theory, just saying. Um, what I'm talking about, though, is not those situations. I'm, I'm not talking about the situations where hurry is the correct or needed response. I'm talking about when our default posture in life is that of hurry. I, I'm talking about when we are in a hurry far more often than we're not. I'm talking about when we stay in a hurry, even when we don't actually have any good reason to be in a hurry. Uh, it's like the country music band Alabama put it, which just for the record is about the worst name possible for a band. <laughs> I'm just saying they should have known that. But here's what they said, one of their most famous songs. I'm not gonna sing it to you, just wanted to preface it with that. I can't, it's just everyone would leave our church. I really like you guys. I would like to keep doing this with you guys, so I really can't. They said, I'm in a hurry to get things done. I'm rushing and rushing until life's no fun. All I've really got to do is live and die, but I'm in a hurry and don't know why. Sometimes the spirit speaks through quasi-country music from the 90s. <laughs> I mean, that kind of sums it up, though, right? So question for all of us. How do we know if we struggle with this type of busyness? How do we know if we are chronically, pathologically busy? Well, aside from those of us that knew it was us the moment we started talking about it this morning, here are some common symptoms. These are mostly taken from a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. Incredibly good book if you want to do more reading on this topic. But here are some signs that you may struggle with chronic busyness. You ready? You might want to buckle up. These, every one of these just about was convicting for me. So uh, first, irritability. You are easily irritated at anyone who takes just a little bit longer than they should to do something. Think of Martha in our story. Jesus, I'm trying to do all this stuff, and Mary is making it take longer because she's not helping. Irritability. Second, restlessness and workaholism. Meaning anytime you try to actually slow down your pace of life, take a day off, take a couple hours off, take a vacation, it's like you can't do it. You don't know how to just stop. Third, escapist behaviors. So the rare moments in your life that do seem somewhat restful are actually just distractions and escape and entertainment. So things like Netflix, video games, porn, ways to escape from the world instead of living peaceably within it. Lack of care for your body is the next one. You often don't get around to the basics of physical health, eight hours of sleep a night, daily exercise, moderately healthy diet. Next, emotional numbness. 
You start to lose the capacity to regularly empathize with other people or even with your own pain and disappointments in life. Caring for other people is really, really difficult for you to do because if you were completely honest, it just feels like it takes too long and takes too much effort to do it. And finally, isolation. Hurry makes us feel disconnected from God and from others and even from ourselves. Even when you hang out with friends, if you can find the time in your schedule to do it, it's like you're not fully mentally present with them in that moment because you're thinking about all the other stuff that you could be getting done instead of hanging out and spending time with them. So not to state it too strongly, but I'm pretty sure a large portion of us, maybe even most of us, struggle with chronic busyness. And just to be abundantly clear, that includes me. I am a self-diagnosed busyness addict. I am fairly type A, fairly driven. I'm an Enneagram One, if you know what that is, which is a perfectionist. They call it something much nicer than that, but that's what it is, it's a perfectionist. So in my mind, there is never a shortage of things to do or to accomplish or to improve upon. I'm an exhausting person to be around, as my wife or our staff could probably tell you, abundant examples of. Uh, I frequently find myself irritated at anybody who doesn't move as quickly as I want them to. I frequently look like Mary. I'm sorry, Martha in the story. <laughs> That'd be great if I looked like Mary. I would love to be more like Mary in the story, but I frequently am a lot like Martha in the story. I'm, I'm frustrated and irritable at anyone who doesn't seem to work as hard as I do, or at least doesn't look like they do in the moment. Candidly, some of the ugliest, most sinful moments of my life have something to do with me being in a hurry for no particular reason at all. So there are times where I get to teach you guys out of my strengths, right? Where the Holy Spirit has really done a work in my life, has really grown me in a particular area, and then I get to lead you guys through it afterwards and teach you what I've learned. Uh, this teaching is not one of those teachings, to be abundantly clear. Uh, this is a time where I am still very much in the process of realizing how big of a problem this is in my life, and I am still in the weeds of getting things back to where they need to be. And I just wanted to bring you guys along for the ride so that I'm not the only one getting convicted, right? <laughs> Misery loves company. So here we go. So all of that brings us back to Mary and Martha in the story. So take a look back with me at the passage. Let's read verses 41 and 42 again and talk a little bit more in detail about those. Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. So question, what is the one needed thing that Mary was doing in the story and that Martha should have been doing. If you look back at the passage, it's actually pretty simple, right? Mary, we're told, was sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to his teaching. That's what she was doing. Sitting with Jesus, listening to Jesus. That, according to Jesus, according to the passage, is what is needed. And listen, not only is that the one necessary thing to do, in Jesus' words? It is also the primary antidote to an hurried, over-busy life. 
You see, a lifestyle of chronic busyness is never just a logistical problem. It's never just a logistical problem. It's never simply an issue of how many things you have to do and how much time you have to do them. That might have something to do with it. That might not help, but it's never at its core just that. For instance, I want you to think of Jesus' own life. Jesus had plenty of things to get done, I would argue. He was only on earth for 33 years before he died. He didn't have an app to help him do anything, and yet he never once seemed hurried or overbusy. In fact, Jesus is often interrupted by people, and he usually treats the interruptions as, it's, as if they're just as important as whatever he was on the way to go do. That is a skill I still have not mastered in my life ever. But listen, I think Jesus was able to do all of that because he knew that busyness is never just a logistical problem. It's never just a matter of how much we have to get done. The reason that we live over busy lives, and, and this is the primary thing I want you to take away from today, the reason that we live over busy lives is because we are actually seeking something from the busyness itself. We're actually seeking something from the busyness itself. There are things that our souls long for that we think we can find through busyness. Generally, in my experience, it's one of two things. Sometimes it's both, significance and distraction. Significance and distraction. I think that's what we're seeking through the busyness. Let me explain each of them briefly. We often choose to stay busy because we are seeking significance, importance, value, worth, desirability. We often believe, even if it's subconsciously, that if we are perpetually busy, that must mean that we matter. If we are constantly getting things done, that must mean that we're important. If our schedule is constantly overloaded, that must mean that we are valuable to other people. We're in demand, right? That's what busyness trains us to believe. Or it might be that what you're seeking through the busyness is more of distraction. Some of us don't want to slow down because we are low-key terrified of what we might discover about ourselves if we did. A life of constant busyness and noise keeps us distracted just enough that we don't have to risk hearing that quiet voice telling us that parts of us are not okay. What, what, what do you mean I'm not okay? I, I'm so okay. Could a person who's not okay be getting this much stuff done all the time? Look at how okay I am as proved by my unceasing activity. Is that not what we feel a lot of times when we're over busy? Some of us are seeking distraction out of the busyness. But hear this, sitting with Jesus and listening to Jesus are actually the better solution to both of those things, significance and distraction. Because first, it's spending time with Jesus where we realize that significance isn't something we have to achieve. It's something we are given. In Jesus, we are already significant. 
We, we do matter. We are valuable. We are significant. We are wanted. We are desired. But listen, in the kingdom of Jesus, we don't have to run ourselves into the ground to know those things are true. In the kingdom of Jesus, those things are already a reality about us, regardless of how much or what we get done. One of the most liberating truths for a follower of Jesus to realize is that your worth and your activity have nothing to do with each other. For followers of Jesus, our worth and our value, they were locked in, they were set in stone the moment that Jesus died on the cross. And and so any scrambling, any striving to try to establish a significance on our own through busyness is unnecessary effort. It's an attempt to secure something for ourselves that has already been freely given at the cross. Author John Kuesler puts it this way in his book, another fantastic book. We'll put it in the notes to this sermon when we post them later today. He says, silence and solitude, which is really just another way to say sitting with Jesus and listening to Jesus. Silence and solitude are countermeasures for a world that tries to persuade us that our worth is measured by our usefulness. These experiences, things like silence and solitude, remind us that we have intrinsic value to God. We do not have to produce to be loved and accepted by him. Sitting with Jesus and listening to him are how we fight the tendency to find significance in our busyness. Because it's in that space with Jesus that we can clearly hear him speaking, proclaiming that better reality over us. It's there that we can hear him say to us, you matter, but not because of how busy or productive or efficient you are. You matter, Jesus says, because of who I am, what I've done for you on your behalf, and who I've made you to be. Because you're my son, you're my daughter, made in my image and ransomed by my blood. That's the truth of the gospel. And that is a much better significance than busyness can offer us. And time with Jesus is how we fight the tendency to find distraction in our busyness. Because here's the difficult truth. Sometimes, as weird as this might sound, we actually need that little voice telling us that we're not okay. Sometimes we need to realize that we're not okay so that we can own it and do something about it. So that we can allow God to do something about it. Uh, I'll put it a slightly different way. Sometimes that quiet voice telling us that we're not okay is the Holy Spirit. And he's wanting, a, he's wanting to lead us into a more sustainable, more lasting, more joy-filled type of life than we can achieve through chronic busyness. And it's in this place, sitting with Jesus and listening to Jesus, that we can allow him to point out places in our hearts where we are not okay. It's there with him that we can both admit that we aren't okay and be reminded that Jesus' affections for us are not in the least bit hindered by that reality. Quite the contrary, right? It's actually that Jesus is near to us in our brokenness and he desires to lead us into something far better. It's with him that we can hear the still small voice that desires to lead us towards what Jesus calls life and life to the full. But if we want that kind of life, we are going to have to occasionally slow down long enough to hear what he has to say. 
So as it turns out, Jesus was right. The only real antidote to an overbusy life is to find time to sit with him and learn from him. Whether your busyness is motivated by a quest for significance or a need for distraction or both, the answer is in finding the time to sit with Jesus and listen to Jesus, just like Mary in the story. She sat at Jesus' feet and she listened to him. Now, through the years, followers of Jesus have called this practice, the practice of sitting with Jesus, listening to Jesus. They've called it quite a few different things. It's got a lot of different names. Some people call it silence and solitude, like the quote that we read a moment ago. Some people call it a quiet time, which is by far the most youth groupy name for it. Um, other people call it their devotional. Honestly, I could not care less what we call it. I care most about what we do during that time. Namely, that we find somewhere relatively quiet, away from noise and distractions and tasks and to-do lists, and we take the time to sit and to listen to the voice of God. That is the goal. That's the way to combat an over-busy life. Now, I will say, actually doing this, creating space for silence and solitude in your life, it might look a number of different ways, just depending on your life stage and season of life. For some of you right now, there might be very little keeping you from taking even an hour or two a day to do this. So, so maybe you're single, you're married with no kids, you're a college student, and maybe your schedule is actually fairly flexible right now. And really all it would take for you is just blocking out some time on your schedule to do it. For others of us, it's going to take a little more effort, a little more creativity to try to figure this out. So maybe you work a demanding job, you have a demanding schedule of some sort. So for you, it may look like taking a 15-minute chunk of time in the morning and a really solid Sabbath on one of your days off. Maybe you have younger kids, like I do, and they need you for something at what seems like every waking moment of the day and some non-waking moments too, right? Maybe that's where you're at in life. And so maybe for you, it looks like piecing together 10 minutes of time before they get up in the morning and 15 minutes while they nap and so on and so forth. Uh, if you parent with someone else, maybe you take the kids in the morning so the other person can have some quiet and then they take the kids towards the end of the day so that you can have some quiet or something like that. If you parent alone, maybe ask your life group that you're in, if, if they can help brainstorm some solutions for you or help provide solutions for you to get some moment of peace and quiet. One of the most freeing things, I think, is that the Bible does not prescribe a certain day or frequency or length of time for this. It can look different pending your age and your schedule and your life stage. It can be in the morning, it can be in the afternoon, it can be in the evening, it can be one chunk of time per day or multiple periods of time throughout the day. It can be all sorts of things, but I do want you to hear me on this. The one thing it can't be is optional. The one thing it cannot be is, yeah, when I get around to it. Yeah, one day I'll figure out how to work it into my schedule down the road. I want you to remember Jesus' words to Martha in the passage. He says, sitting with him and listening to him is, quote, needed. It is, it is necessary. It's necessary to find time in your day and your week and your life to press pause on productivity and to sit and be with Jesus and listen to what he has to say. Because it's the only place that we can clearly remember who we truly are.
I think of Jesus' words in John chapter 15. We'll put this up on the screen. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. I can't help but think, and this is every bit as much for me as it is for you, I can't help but think that the reason many of us feel like we are withering away right now is because we have chosen a life of constant activity instead of a life of abiding with Jesus. So the invitation today, with the cross before us, the Holy Spirit within us, is to abide with Jesus, to sit with Jesus and listen to him to let him proclaim over us who we really are, to let him speak to us about ways that we are currently not okay, but that we could be with the help of the Holy Spirit, and to let him slow us down enough to experience the life that is truly life, life and life to the full with Jesus. So I want us to do something this morning that's gonna be a little bit different. I am aware that you and I operate in a world that hardly ever makes silence, quiet, and stillness even possible, much less a priority. So this morning, I just want to grant us all a few moments of quiet. In a second, I'm going to stop talking. The band's not even going to come up. We're not going to play any mood music in the background or anything like that. None of that's going to happen. I'm just going to give all of us in the room a few moments of quiet. And I'll just go ahead and prepare you for this. It's going to be awkward. <laughs> like, like real awkward. But that's kind of the point. It's awkward because we don't ever do this. We don't ever slow down enough, take our AirPods out of our ears long enough to just sit and be with Jesus without distraction. So if necessary, I want us to let it be awkward together, right? For some of us, this might be the best shot at quiet we've got all week. So let's not let it pass by. Let's take this time to sit with Jesus and listen to Jesus. You can get out a journal or a Bible or you can just sit there and close your eyes. However you wanna do it is fine. But this is your time with him to sit with him and listen to him. You ready for the awkwardness? All right, let's do it. <laughs> 